0: Welcome to History Uncensored. As always, I'm your host Seth Michaels and I don't give a fuck what you learned in history class. Today, we're going to continue our journey with slavery. We started with the uh, like what was the beginnings of slavery, and now we're going to kind of get into civilization and what we really know. Uh, so, yeah, here's what we're going to go over today. We're going to talk about the laws of slavery. We're going to talk about Mesopotamian slavery, and then eventually we're going to end it on Egyptian slavery. But a few things before we get into the laws. A uh, couple things I want to talk about, mainly because I kind of left off last episode kind of at chieftains, chiefdoms. Uh, I'm going to go over that and then uh, just a quick guide through uh, Mesopotamian history. And then we'll get into the laws, I promise. Not that long. All right, here we go. Only with the emergence of these chiefdoms would the political political ethos of humanity kind of move from egalitarian to hierarchical. And with that, kind of the rise of certain men, and eventually it was mostly and always men that uh, took this role. Uh, Their families were institutionalized and legitimate. Some of them eventually, as we'll talk about in Mesopotamia, where they'll be seen as like messengers to God, that first strata of civilization. Well, with this uh, shift from hunter-gatherers to larger bodies of people, um, you had the the rulers, and then eventually you, you had basically what some people refer to as docile bodies, well, they're created by this transfer of concepts and practices from domestication of animals, which I talked about. And uh, it's definitely worth going back and listening to that episode. Um, so from its inception, agriculture, which is this huge catalyst for society and civilization, has been both a material practice and it's been a type of knowledge. Its history is a history of ideas and actions, and um, it really pushed change Economically, environmentally, socially, and political, and even bringing us slaves. I'm going to pose this question. I think I posed it last time. How does any human being come to the point where they can completely control another person? How did we get there? In its earliest forms, there seems to be consigned some kind of like familial model. The idea is if, um, you know, the way we can control our offspring uh, can sometimes be. Like total and violent control and explorative. I mean, we don't want to do that. I mean, I definitely don't want to do that. I love my kid, my kids. Uh, but you look back and and you can see that and this exploitation of uh, specific classes of people. And it's really early history. I mean, we're talking pre history. You know, all the way back to the first codes of man that we know. So anything that we've been able to think up as humans, you know, clever or evil or good, um, generally not good, at least in the terms of economic exploitation, but we seemingly always figured out a way to put slavery into that caste as well. It's just the way of it. Now we can jump in the very first writings of man and kind of get a, a better idea of the history of mesopotamia kind of what it was like who lived there so on and so forth mesopotamian culture uh, which if you don't know uh lies in the fertile crescent or uh kind of eurasia the the near east as we would call it 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 can't that that history Um, which is one of the oldest known civilizations. It can't be described in the same way that somebody would, for example, describe Rome or Greece. Mesopotamia was never a single unified civilization. Not even under uh, Sargon the Great, who was a pretty nasty dude. (laughs) They They kept trying to kill him. It just didn't work, generally speaking, though. From the rise of the cities, uh, the Mesopotamian cities, 4500 BCE, to the downfall of Sumer around 1750, lived their lives just in kind of similar ways as to what we would expect. The civilizations placed a really great value on written word, which is great for us. They didn't, they used stone tablets, so a lot of uh, writing was kept around. Granted, most of it's like... How many sheep did we bring into the city? Um, How many slaves were sold? So on and so forth. So, not the most riveting stuff, but it gives us a pretty good idea about how life in ancient Mesopotamia was lived. The American author Thornton Wilder once said Babylon had 2 million people in it. And all we know about them is the names of kings and some copies of wheat contracts and the sales of slaves. Well, that's pretty much right. I mean, I mean, granted, we know a, a bit more than that. I'll kind of go over it here. The population of ancient Mesopotamian cities varied a lot. And granted, they were pretty much in constant conflict with each other. So keep that in mind. And when you became, when somebody captured a city, generally they were enslaved. So, I mean, you had things like uruk Had a population of around 50,000, a cod, 36,000, and they were divided into the social classes. Uh, You know, like societies, you know, even today, the hierarchical classes kind of went as follows there's the king and the nobility, and then below them, we had the priests and the priestesses. Below them, we had the upper class, the lower class, and then the slaves and as I mentioned earlier the king of the city or region or whatever you want to call it um, was thought to have a pretty special relationship with uh, the their deities and as uh, temples the ziggurats in the center of the city would have been specifically constructed for that purpose And the idea of becoming a great king in ancient Mesopotamia is kind of interesting. It leads right into this topic. A great king would enlarge his kingdom and make the land prosperous, and by doing so, show that the gods favored him. Well, shit. It's pretty simple, right? So let's grow the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, it means let's get more slaves to build more stuff and bring me grapes. Mm, Grapes. Below them, as I mentioned, were like the priests and priestesses. Uh, kind of interesting. Women uh, were treated pretty fairly in ancient Mesopotamia, considering the history of women. Uh, so awesome to them. They they weren't taught anything. They kind of thought literacy was beyond them. But still, they were treated uh, much better than normal. So again, good on Mesopotamia priests and priestesses presided over you know sacred aspects of daily life and they officiated religious services most of the time they were literate and considered adept at interpreting signs and omens casting stones uh, they also served as healers they were the first doctors and dentists of mesopotamia and below the priests and priestesses you know uh, you had scribes and scribes were really fucking important in Ancient Mesopotamia, they could be private tutors, eventually going to become a high-ranking military personnel. Uh, they owned their own companies, became merchant merchants, and uh, the idea was the merchant that owned his own company did not need to travel and was a man of leisure who could enjoy the best beer in the city in the company of his friends, attended by slaves. Below. You know, the, the merchant class, uh, the upper class, we had the lower class, which were made up of the, the exact things that you can think of. Farmers, construction workers, canal builders, bakers, basket makers, prostitutes, metallurgists, yada, 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 yada. All stuff we've probably heard in history before. They made up the lower class. The good people, the the majority of the population, Something kind of interesting did happen. A tavern keeper, uh, and most of the women kept the taverns in Mesopotamia, but a tavern keeper eventually became the queen of Kish, which was awesome. You know, we don't know too much about them, but we do know that they were able to rise along this social strata uh, all the way from tavern keeper, which is kind of like lower middle, all the way up to being the queen yeah, women were allowed to be, like, tavern keepers and, like, doctors and stuff until guys were like, hey, that can make a lot of money. And below them, the main reason we're here were slaves, and you could become a slave in a bunch of different ways. You could be captured in war, you could sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt, or you could sell your children into slavery to pay off a debt. Not recommended. Not recommended. You could be sold as a punishment for a crime. Uh, you could be kidnapped and sold into slavery in a different region. Slaves didn't have a single ethnicity, and you know the white, brown, black who gives a fuck? They were slaves, nor were they solely employed for manual labor and as we see later on, like in Greek history, you know slaves kept house, they managed estates, the they tutored young kids, they tended horses. They served as accountants and skilled jewelry makers. Could be employed in whatever capacity their masters saw fit. Whatever is most lucrative, generally. Alright, so that's a little bit about Mesopotamia and the history. But before I get into the laws of slavery, I'm going to take a little bit of a break. Here's a question for you guys. Think about this here. In the antebellum South, what percentage of free blacks owned slaves? Get back to me in the comments. And here's our break. All right, guys, we're back. We're going to go over the laws of Sumer and Babylon. Pretty interesting stuff here. You know, the eye for an eye shit, the first laws, all the stuff we talked about when we were kids and being taught this stuff. Well, what we weren't taught is that a lot of these laws were about slavery. Yeah, quite a bit of them. So let's talk about it here. First, when... Most of us think about laws in this time. We think about Hammurabi's code, and this is that eye for an eye. And most of that we kind of found was taken from an earlier law. And this was the code of Ur Namu. And he was a king. And uh, it was written right around 2100 to 2050 BCE. It's the oldest known tablet containing uh, like an extant law code that we have even like i said before the code of Hammurabi. even though we know other laws like existed such as like the code of yurikajina the the code of ernamu really represents like a, a casuistic form like and if this crime happens then this punishment happens it's a pattern that's been followed pr- by pretty much all later laws all later law codes from time out of mind it's how today's society works. If this happens, then punishment. If then then. I think you understand now. It's considered pretty advanced. It institutes monetary compensation for bodily damage, which is pretty interesting. Um, there were a couple of things that were, you know, uh, capital offenses. You know, things the the, the pleasant ones, murder robbery adultery and rape you know think about today's society i wouldn't consider you know robbery and adultery like capital offenses you definitely shouldn't do them but i wouldn't think of them as capital offenses you know like to the point of like throwing somebody in a river we'll get back to that so this is the code of ur namu and we'll talk about Hammurabi in a bit but let's get to talking about well some of these laws that involve slavery. Alright, here's one of the first ones. If a slave marries a slave, and that slave is set free, he still can't leave the household. If a slave marries a native, or a free person, he she is to hand the firstborn son over to his owner. Yeah, you don't even get to keep your own children. That's really sad. If a man proceeded by force and deflowered the virgin female slave of another man, that man must pay five shekels of silver. I don't know how much that would be, like, in today's society. But, I mean, that's all you get. So, like, you can go ahead and deflower and, and, and rape a slave. But if you rape a free person... It's a capital offense. Rip a slave? It's just five shekels. That's like prostitution. Except she doesn't get paid. Hmm. The state gets paid. It's really depressing. Um, Alright, okay. this one I just found really interesting. Uh, nothing to do about slavery at all. But if a man is accused of sorcery, he must undergo the ordeal by water. Which is basically... Uh, being strapped down to something and thrown in uh, the Tigris or the Euphrates. How terrifying. And it's not like those are just like, oh, let's go throw you in the creek down the road. No, these are fast-moving waters. But if you survive the ordeal by water, you know, by like getting out of your bonds and floating and living, uh, your accuser must pay three shekels you know, I think I would, like, if I knew I could do this, I'd be, like, the enterprising guy that'd be like, what, you, you wouldn't accuse me of sorcery, would you? And then somebody would accuse me and be like, ah, you accused me of sorcery your deal by water. Give it to me. And then I'd be like, oh, got to pay me three shekels now, bitch. Back to slavery. Sorry, I got sidetracked. If a slave escapes the city limits and someone returns him, or her, the owner shall pay two shekels to the one who returned him. Yeah, incentive for returning slaves. How nice of them. Alright, uh, here, here's uh, one more from the code here and we'll talk a little bit about it. If a man's slave comparing herself to her mistress, speaks insolently to her, her mouth shall be scoured with one quart of salt. Jesus Christ. I don't know, give me the lashes, man. I hate salt like I I I can't stop does anybody else like that does anybody else hate salt I fucking hate it I can't even like rinse my mouth out with salt water can't do it it's horrifying instant gagging all right enough about me gagging let's talk about Amarabi's code and I mean man there are a lot in Amurabi's code about slavery and I took some of the choiciest some of the juiciest ones uh, but I mean, like, you're talking like 20-ish percent plus of the slaves in Amurabi's code dealt with slavery. Here here we go. If anybody buy from the son or the slave of another man without witness or contract, silver or gold, a male or female slave, an ox or sheep, an ass or anything, or if he take it in charge, he's considered a thief and shall be put to death. Yeah, this is where we get into that eye for an eye bullshit. Um, don't steal anything in ancient Babylon. Like super ancient, you know, like 1750 BCE. So like later Babylon. But still, don't steal anything. They kill you. Uh, If anyone take a male or female slave of the court or a male or female slave of a freedman outside the city gates, he shall be put to death. Hopefully you aren't like absent-minded. You're like... Oh, I'm just going to, you know, borrow your slave to go work in my field, you know, outside the city. Um, <laughs> you, like, walk the slave outside the city, and you're like, ah, oh, shit, there's the city guard. The guard's like, ah, capture that man, and then you're put to death. How about this one? If anyone receives into his house a, a runaway slave of the court or of a freedman and does not bring it out at the public proclamation... The master of the house shall be put to death. Don't accept runaway slaves. Also, I'm finding a a theme here in ancient Babylon. I think they just like murdering people. I mean, not necessarily slaves, but like their citizens, I guess. Maybe it kept order pretty well. Pretty strong incentive. Here's uh, another one here. If anyone finds runaway slaves in the open country and bring them to their master's, The masters of the slaves shall pay him two shekels of silver. Nice. If a slave will not give the name of the master, the finder shall bring him to the palace to further investigate. The slave shall be returned to his master, and if not, he shall be owned by the state. If he hold the slaves in his house, they are caught there. He shall be put to death. Yeah. Talk about, again, like, if you keep a slave in your house and like you keep it like not your slave you're gonna die if a slave that you catch runs away from you then you shall swear to the owners of the slave and he is free of all blame so if you catch the slave and then like he gets away uh you can like swear like oh yes i promise uh you know to our god that, that um he ran away and i i couldn't catch him free free of blame i think that's the route to go you know this is my son it doesn't look anything like you it's my son i promise what happened to the slave he ran away i couldn't get him i swear to the gods oh that makes sense yeah uh ooh this one's interesting i have to think that like putting out an eye or like cutting off a foot was much more common in ancient history than it is today so check this out. If he put out the eye of a man's slave or break the bone of a man's slave, he shall pay one half of its value. I mean, that's kind of like it's kind of that's kind of good. Right. So like break that hand of somebody else's slave. Uh, like you have to pay half of that slave's value. Like, again, that's incentivizing not hurting slaves. So there's that, which is nice. So here's one. If a physician make a large incision with an operating knife and cure it, or if he open a tumor over the eye, again, taking out people's eyes, I don't understand, with an operating knife and saves the eye, he shall receive 10 shekels in money. If the person is a slave of someone, his owner shall give the physician two shekels. So that's like the same amount of money that if like your slave ran away and somebody brought it back to you. It's the same as if, like, a doctor removed a tumor over the eye, which is oddly specific of one of your slaves. If anyone buy a male or female slave and before a month has elapsed, the slave has become diseased, he can return the slave to the seller and receive the money with which he paid. I wonder what constituted as, like, diseased. I didn't do any research on that. If anybody wants to hit me up with Babylonian diseases, please do so in the comments. How about this? If, while in a foreign country, a man can buy a, a male or female slave belonging to another of his own country, if, when he returns home, the owner of the slave or female slave recognize it, the male or female slave be a native of the country, he shall give them back without any money. If a slave says unto his master, you are not my master, they convict him, Uh, And they convict him. His master shall cut off his ear. I guess uh, what we're saying is don't talk back to the masters, man. Like, you'll get your mouth scoured with salt. Or maybe, uh, you know, your ear cut off. Or like, if you steal something, you know, like a hand cut off. If you're a slave and you steal another slave, are you both put to death? I didn't find that one. Huh. Probably with Babylon and, and Sumer, I, I want to talk about a couple of other things here. the like basically how slaves came to be. Well, as I talked about earlier, you could um, you could become a slave by going into debt. How terrible would it be? you went into debt because like somebody returned your slave to you and you're like, I'm sorry, I can't pay that. And then what do you mean you can't pay it? And you're like, well, I have like six kids. Do you want to like pick out the best one? Like I'll sell them to you to pay off my debt. And the guy's like, Oh yeah, sounds great. Um, Yeah. That can happen. Debt slavery, something that you'll see again and again, kind of through history up until like, you know, 600 BCE in Greece and, it occurs other places, too. I'll talk about that shit later. But, so you have debt slavery. You have the right of the conquered. Or the right of the conquest, right? So as I talked about, all of these different places, you know, um, Assyria, Babylon, Kish, Ur, all of these places, they were fighting all the fucking time. They were fighting with each other, and then they were fighting with the Hittites, and then they were fighting with ancient Egypt, they were fighting with each other again. Well, what that means is because they were fighting, and because the duty of a king is to grow your lands, and the only lands you actually wanted in that area were in the Fertile Crescent, you were constantly conquering each other's property. Well, that included slaves, as well as those citizens, You'd get to go rape, pillage, loot, whatever you wanted into those cities and and, and bring back people. Pretty famous piece of art, uh, the Banner of Ur, it depicts this where it it depicts a conquering army bringing slaves back to show the king. Okay, so we have debt slavery. Um, We have like conquest slavery. and that's really like the slavery of foreigners. You didn't really get too many slavery slaves of home home bodies, and slaves in Mesopotamia. I mean, they could be let free, but it wasn't all that common. Yeah, even though they were doing, you know, some pretty awesome tasks. Uh, you know, like accounting and stuff like shit. I I definitely wouldn't want to do. Some of them were accomplished artisans whatever they were good at they were they were put to work for the incentive was you know like hey yeah if you're real good if you're really good you you might eventually like get your freedom but i think what these laws are telling us is that the lives of the slaves probably weren't all that great in mesopotamia otherwise you wouldn't have all these laws about them running away and like being captured and stuff Um, so I, i would have to expect that the, the life of a slave wasn't nearly as good as it would be in like later times in, in Egypt or in Greece. You couldn't quite rise to the glory uh, of slavery that you could in Rome, I guess, is a, a good example. But enough of that, right? So conquest, which is foreigners, basically, and then you have debt slavery and another one is like piracy like going out on the road between like two cities or whatever uh, and you're captured you could be sold into slavery if you're the cap if the person capturing them like hopefully like you you take them to a slave market a little bit further away like you don't want to try and bring them back to their own city and have uncle ned or whatever be like hey that that is my nephew and then you're like fuck i brought them to the wrong city shit So don't do that, but, I mean, it was pretty common. You'd probably want, like, an armed escort, you know, if you're, like, a wealthy merchant. But you could be captured um, going down the river by bandits or pirates. Uh, It happened. Shitty, but it happened. The advantage of being, like, a surf you don't travel all that far. Yeah, just tend to my fields, be a farmer, farming away. All right, so we go from Mesopotamia here and then... uh, um, I want to talk about the Hittite Empire and there's a pretty expansive slave trade both between the Hittites and Mesopotamia as well as in like Mesopotamia itself. Um, Because you'd go conquer somebody and you bring back all these slaves. Well, sometimes you couldn't use all of them or you couldn't sell all of them. Well, to go ahead and make some money, they were. Go to earn, bring back the wealth of these slaves. You know, like bring back money for you know the slaves that will sell. Well, what ha- would happen frequently because slaves are could be such an integral part of society. The slaves that you sell uh, to your enemy, not quite enemy, might help build up their state. You know, it's just it's a tough position, but you, you always there are usually too many slaves to, to be had. So th- there's a pretty lucrative slave trade between all of these cities in the area and even between kind of like civilizations including this Hittite empire that I'll talk about. And if you don't know who the Hittites were you should check them out. Uh, they, they, they fucked pretty exclusively with Mesopotamia and and Egypt. Uh, quite a lot with Egypt. But they're in an Anatolian people so kind of like uh, modern day Turkey uh, in that area. It kind of reached its height in like the 14th century which would be like after really Mesopotamia was super imposing and Hittite texts as I've been kind of talking about laws you know they include things like regulating the institution of slavery and when i say institution of slavery and now we're we're talking about hereditary slavery and as most slaves in Mesopotamian the Hittite empire were chattel slavery. So they were sold as property uh, unless you were, uh, you know, in debt slavery and which you could get out a little bit easier. So one, one particular note here that law that I found kind of interesting is if you captured a slave, but it was like they, the slave got past the river, you know, they got like over yonder Like you captured them over yonder, further away from like the center of wherever the, Um, the city was you were paid more for capturing them then and bringing them back than you were if you were to just like capture them right outside of the city you know it's interesting you know it it can we can kind of conclude that some of the slaves kept by the hittites there's like this realistic chance of uh, escaping slavery possibly finding refuge you know and one of the other like kingdoms or chiefdoms or tribes or whatever, you know, that riddled the area. Before we get into ancient Egypt, we're gonna take another break here. Um, quick question before we get into ancient Egypt, can you tell me how the pyramids were built? I want to know. Tell me. I want your opinion. You know, hit me up with the comments. Uh Give me a holler. Let me know what's going on. Uh, I'm curious on what your thoughts are. Ancient Egypt. The land of pointy things. Like pyramids. I mean, they're kind of pointy. Uh, You know, swords. Kopesh swords. Interesting stuff. But we're not here to talk about pointy things. We're here to talk about slavery. If you put in the comment section that slaves built the pyramids, you'd be wrong. I'll talk about that later. Slaves definitely didn't build the pyramids. Um, We'll talk about it. I'll right the wrong. And when we're looking at Egyptian slavery, it gets kind of funny um, because you, through the different, you know, periods in ancient Egypt, you have different translations and different meanings. Um, you know, the word slave is more like servant, and I, I guess it would be pronounced like Bach was usually more like translated as worker than it was servant. And it, I don't know. It just gets really confusing. You know, the, they used um, like masculine and feminine terms and oh man, that it gets wonky. Slaves didn't have. A traditional class in society. It wasn't like a traditional role um, as you would see later on, at, you know, or even in like Mesopotamia, where there was definitely, you know, the kings, the pre- to priestess, upper class, middle, lower class, and slaves. Well, in Egypt, it was you, know, you had the pharaohs and the priests, the warriors, scribes, and then you had your artisans and then you had your farmers. And while serfs slash farmers well that encapsulated i guess like slavery as well it's just weird okay so here we go talk about egyptian slavery egyptian slavery gets even weirder because like there weren't codes of law there were in mesopotamia the legal status of slaves weren't really explained there were words for them but eh, i don't know it's There's examples of Egyptian texts that that deal with slavery from the Middle Kingdom, you know, all the way up through the New Kingdom uh, that kind of offer insight into this, you know, like one famous, and this is the Middle Kingdom, which is like 2000 BCE to 1550, which is like the end of the intermediate period. But. One famous Middle Kingdom text, uh, the, the Satire of Trades, it, it outlines the dangers and misfortunes that accompany seemingly every occupation but that of the scribe. Um, notably notably as, noticeably absent is the role of slavery. A few Egyptologists believe that it wasn't just a clearly defined social group, as I said. So various phrases within it refer to a type of forced labor, Labor are, however, found, um, drawn or made to work, made to work in the fields, beaten with 50 lashes for a day's absence. Boy, am I glad that I was never beaten with 50 lashes for missing school. I would have been in trouble. I was a terrible student. The concept of forced labor in this text is pretty clear. It doesn't explicitly explicit explicit. God, fuck, I can't talk it doesn't explicitly mention slavery but this is emblematic of the problems that we have with these term this terminology in a different you know middle kingdom text the term hm is used hm is used to describe two individuals massaging their master the legendary magician didi He was laying down on a mat at the threshold of his house, and he found him, Didi, a slave at his head massaging and another wiping his feet. Yeah, there's that. We find other documents. I'll just, like, gloss over that there were, you know, slaves massaging their head and feet. That sounds nice. I don't want a slave to do it, but if I could get somebody to massage my my head and my feet, it'd be great. Just putting it out there. Back to slavery. As I was saying, other documents, you know, during the period mention commercial transactions involving workers. One text mentions the purchase of three male workers and the seven female ones to those inherited by his father. Well, like that's slavery, right? But it, it doesn't explicitly mention slavery again. You know, while well, another individual added 20 heads, namely as servants to the estate that they were purchased and added to inheritance really seems to indicate kind of like a form of uh, hereditary slavery, or at least long-term slavery. But it's pretty ambiguous, especially like the latter, you know? What does heads mean? Is it five children, ten older guys, and five women? I have no clue. The more obvious case for slavery were captured foreigners, more obvious, as like I said, is captured foreigners who were mil- captured on military campaigns and, and reduced to slavery. And then they were entrusted to individuals as property who could then be inherited or sold. Makes sense. Taken as a whole, both native-born Egyptians and foreigners could thus serve as slaves and servants. Antonio Leprino notes, Of the 79 servants presented in the list on the Verso side of the Brooklyn papyrus, As belonging to a single owner, at least 33 were Egyptians. Again, it must be stressed that there's no consensus as to the precise legal status of those called servants or slaves or workers. Damn it, Egypt, you're making my job difficult. Uh, Some other terms that were kind of relevant to slavery in the Middle Kingdom, conscripts, um, those who were forced to serve in the army, Uh, or labor and building, or agricultural projects, or mining quarries, Um, a temporary labor force. A citizen of Egypt, they could be like, oh man, we really need to get this project done. Let's just go take a bunch of people and force them into labor. If it wasn't permanent labor, and we're going to pay them, especially in beer. But hey, that's not so bad. I could go for a beer. There were deserters. Um, if you were found deserting the army in the Middle Kingdom, you were forced into a life of labor. Whatever that means. There were some royal servants. And these were generally Egyptians who shared the status of Asiatic slaves. And in contrast, they, if they fled from being a royal servant, they were killed. Can't just run away from daddy. There are some like unique cases of like the interaction between slaves and masters. Um, some slaves were taught to read and write. Um, you know, some kind of went up through the ranks. Some of them accumulated like military glory. Um, and during the second intermediate period, you know, like it was possible to eventually earn your freedom and citizenship through marriage. Here's what you guys were all waiting for with Egypt, right? It was a long-held view. We were all told in class that, like, most likely the pyramids were built with a massive force of slave labor. Or maybe later they were like, well, maybe it was just peasants that were forced to build them. Yeah, the the pyramids and tombs and stuff. Well, n- none of that really lasted The pyramids and other monumental, like, royal structures were built by really highly qualified workers. And these people devoted their entire lives to these projects. Um, And when you look back at some of these projects in ancient Egypt, the scope is massive. It's huge. Um, And they would have needed people that were not only dedicated but quite skilled to to pull it off. Even though that was the case, and it, it doesn't mean that there weren't, as I said earlier, examples of forced labor. Slaves in our understanding were really only like prisoners of war. During 1550 to 1070 BC, the Egyptian borders went nuts. They kept expanding and expanding. Um, Their armies kept winning uh, and they kept capturing, you know, Asian people. Kind of in the Palestine area, you know, like Nubians um, from Black Africa, a lot of those people came to Egypt along those routes. But the economy of Egypt had never been based on slavery, kind of as we'll find out in Rome. Like the forced labor of these foreign slaves wasn't—they like it wasn't a cohesive social group. What was it like to be a slave? Well, their life wasn't all that much more difficult than, let's say, a common laborer, like a farmer um, performing hard work. Slaves that usually assimilated quickly in the population, and um, their legal status, because their legal status wasn't clear, they they weren't separated. They, they they were kind of all mixed in with this lower class of people, and they were treated mostly as people. Um, I would expect, except up in the higher echelon, if you're a pharaoh and like that slave relationship was probably a little bit different. Um, But slaves had a right to private property. There were even cases of slaves marrying Egyptian women. Well, it's interesting, but that means that they weren't stigmatized. They weren't hated, you know, just for being different. Even the Egyptian slaves, forced laborers, that acquired building building material in the quarries were often highly skilled and qualified, you know, as well as the the craftsmen and laborers that helped process the huge stone blocks that were needed in these projects. It was prisoners of war that were generally sent to these teams, you know, and they were probably treated just like the other workers. We also know that there were slaves in a village in the Valley of Kings near Luxor in Upper Egypt, that they prepared food and washed clothes of craftsmen. In general, they might have worked as servants in private homes. But again, their lives weren't as bad as you would find in slaves in other parts of history, even Mesopotamia. In some cases, foreigners were making staggering careers. Like this was the case of perheri who lived during the reign of Hetepshut. Although he was of Nubian origin, uh, probably a prisoner of war, like a hostage, he was brought up to be, you know, right alongside the pharaoh. And his Egyptian name, which means Lion on the Battlefield, that's cool, may suggest that the reason that he, you know, was brought up because of his wartime merits. Perhaps even saving the life of the pharaoh. A nice little slave story from Egypt there are lots of indications that although there's no single term for slaves and it was super ambiguous, it was pretty obvious that they adjusted quickly to Egyptian culture. They learned the language and they took Egyptian wives. It's super weird because when you look back at how the Egyptians viewed the Asians or Nubians, and it was really negative, like fucking hated them. Once they conquered them, and enslaved them, uh, they were treated uh, quite well. In comparison, I only hate you when you're free. There, I said it. So the working class, I have a question. Were they actually free? In a way, the Egyptian workers and craftsmen weren't they weren't allowed to move freely for like around the country or even change their professions in Mesopotamia if you were in the working class you could eventually work your way up it was possible to do that you if you were shrewd and you made the right choices it could happen but in Egypt you weren't allowed to change your profession um once a laborer always a laborer each inhabitant of Egypt, they, they usually had a very strictly designated social role, and they had to perform it. And peasants were the majority in ancient, you know, Egypt society, which is generally the case in you know, most ancient societies, peasants being the good guys. They usually farm fields uh, that belonged to the pharaoh or the, the high dignitaries. They were forced to pay tributes to them but I guess there isn't any evidence that they were oppressed. Again, ancient Egypt, fuck you, it's so ambiguous, I, I don't know what to do with you. They paid pharaohs and stuff tax, but they at least got something back. They, If there was a drought, the uh, the owner, whoever it was you were paying the tax to, would open up their granary to the peasants. So they were free, but not free. That's all the Middle Kingdoms. So let's talk about the New Kingdom. A lot like the Middle Kingdom. A few different opportunities for slaves. As in the, the Middle Kingdom, most slaves were laborers. It, the slave work during the New Kingdom, you know, they could be butlers or beer makers or fan bearers, shield bearers, mercenaries. Egyptian officials used slaves to like construct and work at the temple, uh, they were brick makers. There were slaves of the state, and they provided slaves for some households, and these slaves were even paid in grain rations. You were given to a household, but they were paid by the state. They were paid in grain rations so you wouldn't have to feed them. It's possible that you could even rent them out to your neighbors, allowing the original owner to earn additional income from their labor. And prisoners of war were given, like, as I said, rewards to these individuals. One interesting tidbit on slavery in ancient Egypt is the term shabti, S-H-A-B-T-I. Granted, captives, the ability of an afterlife. That's really awesome. Like, you don't see that frequently. Shaptis were funerary figures. They were buried with deceased Egyptians And we've concluded that they represent an ideology of earthly persons loyal to their master. Granted, you had to die with them, maybe like starved or something in the chamber. But uh, there's evidence that shows Shapti show great relevance to a, a slavery type of system. The captives were promised to be granted an afterlife in the beyond if they obeyed a master and served as a laborer. The origin of this type of slavery is really hard to put your finger on. Entrance uh, into Egypt could have been perceived as being given life. Um, the, the willingness of enslavement uh, known as self-sale. Uh, others suggest that Shaptis were held captive because they were foreigners, and the full extent of the origins of the Shaptis are unclear. But historians do recognize that women were paid or compensated in some way for their labor well guys were not uh, however the payment could have come in a bunch of different forms probably not as you wanted shopties although they weren't guy male shopties although they weren't paid they were promised life in the afterworld and that i guess could be seen as a payment i i wouldn't want to be paid like that They're kind of associated with bonded labor. Um, They had some choice. It's just interesting. You don't often see that type of right given to slaves, generally. We're going to end Egypt on uh, the emancipation of slaves. Positive things, Seth. Fucking positive Foreign slaves in the new kingdom could be emancipated in several different ways. A slave named uh, Amenu was awarded his freedom in exchange for marrying his owner's invalid niece. Smooth, Amenu. Slaves could be freed through adoption, as was the case for the children of the slave girl, Dienitiri. If I butcher these names, I'm so sorry. But whose owner adopted her children, like one of the girls, Temenut married the overseer of the stables you could you know you'd be freed through adoption that's nice because any children born through adoption here were considered free citizens another path to freedom was to be purified by the king himself you know as noted in king tut's restoration still slaves could earn taxable wages and had some judicial rights they could marry and start families and even keep the original names if they wanted it's nice to end on a happy note you know even if we've talked about slavery and the dreary shitty topic though as we kind of found out at least in ancient Egypt, slavery wasn't quite as bad um, as it might have been in ancient mesopotamia or in other parts of history our next episode um and it definitely was sorry, and it definitely wasn't as bad as how we were generally taught slavery was in school, waking up, eating, drinking, shitting, being worked nearly to death, going to sleep, uh, wash, rinse, repeat again and again and again until you died. Well, it wasn't like that uh it was a bit different, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. The next episode will find us in ancient Greece and Athens. Uh, We'll hear from some of the great philosophers like Aristotle, Plato. We'll find out how much slavery impacted Greek society and in relation to that, how it kind of impacts Western modern society. And if you liked the podcast, please throw a five-star review up on iTunes. It helps me out so much. I would appreciate it. Um, Comment, review, and listen anywhere you find your podcasts this is Seth Michaels, and this is History Uncensored. Have a wonderful evening.